Good afternoon, everyone. What a privilege and honor it is to have here with us today, Dr. Mark Frankie, who has 25 years of clinical expertise as an emergency medicine physician, EMS leadership. He's been involved in jumpstarting hospitalist programs. He's been involved in philanthropy and medical missions to Central America, Africa, many other places that he's going to tell us more about. He is an avid aviation enthusiast. And he's going to tell us a little bit about some of his strong connections to the UK and some of the family members there. And there's lots more in this leadership segment. But Mark, let me just first say again, thanks so much for being here and talking with us today. Uh, Jim, it's great to be here. I have considered a privilege working in the DC area in medicine and a lot of different fields over the last 25 years. Working with uh, your group has been great. I think you have given me great insight on learning how to deal with a variety of stressors in the ER and making transitions as you go later in your career. And I think it's it's helpful for if we're all a little bit reflective on where we're at. Our field is one that has challenges from a physical standpoint as you get older, challenges from a interaction standpoint. And I think all of us benefit when we get to be reflective and have someone to help us guide us down that path. So um, your group has been wonderful about helping guide me in a transition from full-time ER doc into what I would call a uh, part-time ER doc and doing telemedicine. So I think this is a great opportunity for uh, folks to learn. I would offer part of your success has been, at least in the, in the years that we've known each other, is you've been open to the process, the upsides and the downsides. Again, it's just been a great pleasure to get to know you in that time. Turn back the clock a little bit. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. 25 years experience. You obviously did a lot of things right. There may be some gems in there too for some of the younger physicians who may be listening. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and maybe some tips. Well, I think one of the things that you have to decide early on in your career, whether it's emergency medicine or, or whatever you're doing, that it's something you're passionate about. I actually started out in an EMS role in college. I worked as an EMTB at Virginia Tech. Took a very long route to get into emergency medicine. I was a PA student after undergrad, practiced as a PA for six years and decided I want to go further. Went on to medical school and then trained at the trauma center in Delaware and then moved to uh, Northern Virginia. I think as you go through that process, you hone down what your interests are and you have to find something that you're passionate about. We spend our entire lives working to get to that one spot. So you really need to find the place where you find the moist enjoyment. And I certainly found that in emergency medicine. As you go around, along in your career, you may be asked to do things that certainly you weren't initially trained for that are outside of the clinical world. And those can be very rewarding. I mean, you have to kind of pick and choose which ones you want. But if you've got some leadership skills or have an ability to communicate with people, it's pretty clear that pretty on in your career, you'll be tapped to do things that are non-clinical and they can be rewarding as well. I bet. And you've done a bunch of things, Mark. And in fact, let's talk maybe about a year or so ago, we were touching base because frankly, you were just thinking about, let's say, semi-retirement. And there are some challenges that we discussed that are harder for physicians in general to address, I guess, frankly, as they get older and later in their career. And there were some things that you were facing. Tell us a little bit about the, the struggle at that time, maybe how that impacted your own identity and uh, what you did. As you get later in your career, your tolerance for working nights and shifts and having a disruption in your, your life, particularly if you're in a shift-based specialty like emergency medicine, or OB or anesthesia, it gets tougher as you get older and you find that you want to prioritize time with your family because most of us find that we have, well, have lost a lot of that time. Um, for myself, um, I decided that 
about November last year, it was time for me to transition out of full-time emergency medicine into a different aspect of medicine. And the thing that I found attractive that was somewhat less personally demanding was to do telemedicine. Since last October, telemedicine has exploded and has changed. There's a paradigm shift, um, healthcare, which is not likely to completely reverse. And so telemedicine um, changed my life and then changed everybody else's life. Happened to be on the upside of the curve and, and was in it working for a couple agencies before the pandemic hit. Right. Somebody could argue that you really hit the timing pretty well, even though right. at the moment there was a, frankly, just an internal struggle in terms of letting go of part of your role, right? To, right. to, to change at that point in your career. Take us back to the beginning of this year, Mark, where you were positioned really well in terms of telemedicine. You had been licensed in a couple of states. Then COVID hit, and you had told me in years prior that you had been a responder to SARS, to Ebola, you know, you ran in head first. And this time, as a, a later career physician, things were different. Tell us about that. What happens is when you're a 28 or 30-year-old resident or attending, uh, you're pretty immortal as you get older. I think you have a sense of mortality because of the widespread contagiousness of this disease and the exposure that physicians and nurses were getting. I was not quite as eager to jump into a room fully suited up because of risk factors, age and pre-existing medical conditions, but many of our later career physicians at risk. And so for me, doing an occasional ER shift or an occasional urgent care shift was much more appealing than doing a lot of face-to-face -face clinical medicine. I guess my caution would be as you get older, it's a really good idea to have a plan because many docs don't. And I was fortunate this time around to, to have a plan. And the career allowed me to decrease my face-to-face -face, um, clinical exposure and do telemedicine while still very rewarding, not as great from a remuneration standpoint, but there's still enough compensation there where if you've done good planning throughout your life, you should be able to do fine. So telemedicine has been a boon to people and the population, but it's also been a great place for folks who are later in their career to be able to practice medicine and have something that's very rewarding, but put you at less personal risk. Again, one of the successes for you is you're licensed in what, five, six states maybe? I have to count. It's actually, I think we're up to eight. One of the good things that happened during this, fortunately, was that some of the states put in emergency licensing, which allowed folks who were trying to help out do telemedicine. In some of the states, uh, Georgia was one, and Tennessee's another, where they only give you a temporary license based on your previous licensing in other states. And so it has been able to allow a lot of docs to participate on more than just a local level. Still learning a lot about the boundaries of that, the legality of that, the right, and exactly what does a, an emergency medicine, telemedicine, does it look like? What can be done? What can't be done? If we could back up a half a step, tell us a little bit about how does an emergency medicine physician keep an eye on oneself to notice when the physical and psychological demands of the job are putting you at a point where you're like, you know, I need to reconsider if I can keep practicing this way because there's a huge burden. I think you have to kind of balance off, are your critical thinking skills still there? Do you feel like there's, that has changed in you? How are your interpersonal skills with the nursing staff and the patients? Has that been denigrated over time because of your length of duration in the community? How has this affected your personal life? If you have children, ask them. And they will tell you very bluntly that you weren't home a lot. And when you start hearing that, you kind of realize in your 60s what your priorities need to switch to because 
Um, as a good friend of mine said at one point, you never get to the end of your career and say, gosh, I wish I'd worked another shift in the ER. And so I would ask your kids first, what do you remember about me being around in your childhood? If they say, we didn't see you a lot, there's a message there. I think all of us get to a point where you realize that you may have the same empathy in your heart for folks, but it may not be coming out, and staff, but it may, may not be as expressed as well as it was when you were in your 30s. Everyone has to be a little reflective about, am I the best dyke I can be still? Do I still have all of the empathy and does am I performing the way I would want to be? And if you feel like you're in a position where, you know what, I was better before and I was a better communicator and I was more empathetic to my patients. I think that's when you need to start being self-reflective about when is it a good time and where am I at financially? You have to balance those things off. So family, interpersonal ability and skill set in the ER and then how are you doing uh, family and financially? You've got kids and you've got grandkids. And so, you know, you've also kind of touched on burnout was prevalent before COVID hit. It was at about 50% for pick a specialty, right? Emergency right. medicine, a little bit higher than that. What tips right. do you have in terms of identifying that in self? And what do you do to be resilient? I think you have to locate where your resilience is in ability to bounce back after you've had a bad day or a bad event. All of us go through very tough days in our careers. There's no doubt about that. You have to find the ability to talk with your colleagues or talk with somebody professionally, share it with your partner. I'm not really a fan of sharing it with your kids unless they're of a certain age and they're 18 or 20. Younger than that, it's not appropriate. So you have to, be able to learn to, how to share that. And you also have to decide, is this getting easier as I get older? And for me, I found it particularly dealing with families who had lost somebody or dealing with a multitude of critical events at once. It was not as enjoyable. Parts of our job are not enjoyable. And if you find that is dragging you down, you need to need to do something about it. Either go through life coaching with someone like you or a therapist. I suspect many, at least emergency physicians, have been speaking to a therapist or spoken to a counselor at some point. If you have an event where it was particularly soul-searching, then it's important you chat with somebody pretty soon after that. One of the things that we find, particularly with some recent events of there was a chairman out of a program in New York and other folks where folks in the medical community are ashamed to share when they're having rough times, particularly in, in eras like this. And then we have really bad outcomes. And so I think it's important to be self-reflective about what's going on. And then if you need help by speaking with somebody professionally, you do that in a timely manner. And I think we're really bad about talking about it. But I would encourage anything. If you're starting to feel like you're not yourself, you can't eat, you can't sleep properly, you're snapping with your patients, you're snapping at the nurses, you're snapping with your family. That's time where you got to go talk with somebody and not be, not be ashamed. Great reminders, Mark. We note that burnout numbers are high. For some folks, it's enabled them to, for some clinicians, it's enabled them to just reconnect to the joy and meaning of their work. And actually, just another thing that you told me about, a little bit of your own history that helped you be resilient was reflecting back to some family members. Your mom had a fascinating history. Tell us a little. Oh, yeah. I think actually this is something that gives me a bit of strength. Uh, my mother was in, in World War II in the RAF, joined up at age 17 and trained as a radio operator and helped decode messages for the, for the what was called the Ultra Project at Bletchley Park. But before that and after that, she lived in London with my grandparents and eventually my father was there. And they lived through the Blitz in London. They lived through it for four years. I think they, that generation had incredible resiliency and went through a lot and taught us a lot. Their resiliency, I'm hoping, is being passed on to us in the medical community. They're called the, the greatest generation 
And I think we should be called the grateful generation because they showed us so much. But I also think as we go through this pandemic and epidemic, we need to be cognizant of how people are going to think of us in 20 years. And how did you personally respond to this? How do we respond as a community? And how do we respond as a nation? And if you're happy with the way you're responding, great. If you're not happy with the way you're responding, you may want to alter that because certainly at least our children are going to observe how we acted and how we taught each other, how we held each other, or how conflicting with each other. And I think it's important that you model behavior that you would like other folks to model or your children to observe. So I think this is a very telling time in our life. And when I think about it, I think about my mom and dad go through World War II and think about how, how that generation responded. How do we want to be known? 20 years from now, I hope we want to be known as the next generation that did a good job. And it's really up to us to do that. I love the transition from the greatest generation to the grateful generation and making us all remember how are we responding to these current challenges? People are watching us, our kids, in your case, and grandkids watching us. What is our legacy? So maybe to just wrap up today, in terms of leadership, what type of leader is needed today? Leading by example and taking responsibility. And so one of the things that a very good friend of mine who's a, a leader within the philanthropic community and a leader in his business is um, you have to take personal responsibility if something occurs within your department. If something has occurred that is not a great outcome or something, uh, if it's a group of folks you lead or an event that you lead, then you need to accept responsibility if something has gone poorly. If something has gone well, I think, even your last shift. I think it's important that you recognize the folks you're working with. I left a particularly difficult shift in the ED yesterday. Made sure I thanked as many folks as I could because it was a, a difficult shift. We had to call on extra help and there was a lot going on. And so recognizing your colleagues, the support staff, I don't care if it's a housekeeping person. Every time I see the housekeeping folks, I say hi and thanks and they know my name. And so that, I think that's important. I think you need to maintain your compassion. Just because it's a pandemic doesn't mean we should practice any less compassionately than we normally did. If you get a patient who's got a new diagnosis of cancer, you make sure you go in the room and sit down, talk with them. And if you have another case, it's equally as taxing on the family that you spend the amount of time in there that's adequate to show um, the information, but just the compassion and empathy we need even more so these days. People will remember you for that. I took care of a patient yesterday, he was 89. And she remembered the last time she saw me. Now at 89, I don't know what I'm gonna remember, I probably won't remember the last ER doc I saw. So <laughs> it's quite rewarding to hear that. And so I think choose your words carefully with your staff and with your patients and make sure they know that you care. People know when you're genuine. And I think they know when you're empathetic. And if you are genuine and empathetic, people recognize that. Great stuff there, Marco. Thank you so much for today. Thanks for your wisdom. Thanks for sharing some of those 25 years experience with us. Thanks to VEMA, the Virginia Emergency Medicine Association, uh, with whom you work for uh, allowing you to have some time with us today. Mark, you're doing such a great job with your community, with your colleagues. Thanks. Best to your family. Let's keep the dialogue going. Thanks for your leadership, Pearls. Great. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat with me tonight. I really appreciate what your organization does for physicians. Thank you so much.